Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And of course, also brought to you by Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Ars Technica reported recently that GitHub have said unknown intruders gained unauthorized access to some of its code repositories and stole code signing certificates for two of its desktop applications, Desktop and Atom. As a preventative measure, exposed certificates will be revoked. The revocations, which will be effective from Thursday, so probably by the time you're listening to this, they've already occurred, will cause certain versions of the apps to stop working. And those applications are GitHub Desktop for Mac with the following versions, 3.1.2, and also Atom version 1.6.3.1 and 1.6.3.0. So essentially, I guess those are all those versions that have been signed with those certificates or those particular certificates. They say that the desktop for Windows versions are unaffected. Continues that worrying trend of repositories uh, being breached. Microsoft have issued a notification about consumer versions of Windows 11 2.1 H2 and the fact that those will be getting updated to the latest version of Windows 11. And that statement goes, quote, Today we begin to automatically update consumer and non-managed business devices running Windows 11 version 2.1 H2 Home and Pro editions to Windows 11 version 2.2 H2. Since Windows 10, we have been helping Windows users stay up to date and secure with supported versions of Windows through automatic updates. We're utilizing the same approach for Windows 11 to help you stay protected and productive." End quote. It said the automatic update to Windows 11 version 2.2H2 will happen gradually, starting with those devices that have been using version 2.1H2 for the longest period of time. And as always, uh, admins or users will have the ability to choose a convenient time for the device to restart and complete the update. Of course, if you'd like to just update right away and not wait for it to be uh, trickled into your system, uh, you can just check for updates and do the install manually yourself. They say that if they detect that your device might have an issue, such as compatibility, uh, they will put a safeguard hold in place. And in that case, the update will not be installed automatically until that issue is resolved. So while this is those uh, home and pro editions and specifically non-managed business desktops or home PCs, uh, this may not have much of an enterprise play. But it is, of course, still worth mentioning because if you're supporting BYOD remote workers who are maybe using their own devices to remote into your systems, 
uh, this could come up for your support desk. Oracle published a price list for a new Java SE Universal subscription program. The pricing starts at $15 per employee per month for as many as 999 employees and drops as low as $5.25 per employee per month for 40,000 to 49,999 users. Infoworld.com reports that an employee, according to Oracle's price list, is defined as a user site's full-time and part-time employees, temporary employees, and employees of contractors, agents, outsourcers, and consultants. And the quantity of licenses is determined by the total number of employees, not the number of employees using the programs. The price list also cites rules for programs licensed on a per-processor basis. In Oracle's prices, they've cited an example in which a company with a total employee count of 28,000, including full-time and part-time employees and agents, consultants, and contractors, would be charged $2.268 million per year. Ridiculous. Uh, Infoworld.com also reported that the change is effectively to cover all employees for both workstation and server access and that the structure change for licensing could work out well for some customers, but not for others. So that company with 28,000 employees getting charged $2.2 million doesn't sound like it's going to work out too well for them. And that's one of the examples that Oracle have cited themselves. It seems absolutely crazy. So... Um, you might want to check out the details of this if you're still in a Java heavy shop, which I think it's funny. It was so widely used in enterprise for enterprise applications for so many years. And then it seemed, I think around 2017, 2018, it just like dropped off dramatically. So it seems like um, developers have been weaning themselves off of it maybe since the acquisition and it's less prevalent now. Um, so hopefully this doesn't uh, hurt the checkbooks or the pockets of too many customers because this would be a pretty decent whack of the budget, I bet. I recently covered stories on the podcast about LastPass being breached and Norton LifeLock's password manager customers being targeted with password spraying-based attacks. Well, this week, BleepyComputer.com reported that Bitwarden and other password managers are being targeted in Google ad phishing campaigns to steal users' password vault credentials. On Tuesday, Bitwarden users began seeing a Google ad titled Bitward Password Manager in search results for Bitwarden Password Manager. The domain used in the ad was appbitwarden.com and when clicked, redirected users to the site bitwardenlogin.com. The page at bitwardenlogin.com was an exact replica of the legitimate Bitwarden Web Vault login page, and the phishing page would accept credentials and once submitted, redirect users to the legitimate Bitwarden login page. It was also reported that one password is also being targeted with the campaign. So enable MFA, everyone. I think I saw something recently uh, where some open source application was also being targeted in this type of phishing campaign, despite the fact they don't pay for any advertising at all. It's an open source free product, but someone's paying Google and getting this phishing site 
uh, promoted in the top results for this particular open, open source application. And they've asked Google to, you know, hey, if we tell you we don't advertise because it's a free product, please don't allow others to advertise uh, using our keywords because it will be nefarious needs like this. KeePass is disputing what is described as a newly found vulnerability that allows attackers to stealthily export the entire database in plain text. The new vulnerability is tracked as CVE-2023-24055 and it enables threat actors with write access to a target system to alter the KeePass XML configuration file and inject a malicious trigger that would export the database including all usernames and passwords in clear text. BleepyComputer.com reports the next time the target launches KeePass and enters the master password to open and decrypt the database, the export rule will be triggered and the contents of the database will be saved to a file the attackers can later exfiltrate to a system under their control. Since this was assigned the CVE, a proof of concept exploit has already been shared online, likely making it easier for malware developers to upgrade information stealers. Uh, with the ability to dump and steal the contents of KeePass databases on compromised devices. So, you know, uh, those who are maybe like, oh, something like 1Password, LastPass, uh, that's stored in the cloud, I don't trust that. I'll use KeePass because the database is kept local. It's like, well, that's not 100% bulletproof either, it seems. Watermarking for Azure Virtual Desktop has been announced as in preview. And they say that when you enable watermarking, QR code watermarks appear as part of the remote desktops. And this QR code contains the connection ID of a remote session that admins can use to trace the session. Watermarking is configured on session hosts and enforced by the remote desktop client. And if you want to see what the watermark would look like. There is a screenshot that was shared by Microsoft. If you're listening to the audio only version of the podcast, you could check out the YouTube edition where I'll be showing it or alternatively just check out the link that I will share with this episode, which is episode 267 and you'll find out at fivebytespodcast.com. It's important to note that once watermarking is enabled on a session host, only clients that support watermarking can connect to that session host. So if you try to connect from an unsupported client, the connection will fail and you'll get an error message that is not very specific, which I like Microsoft themselves call that out. Uh, so yeah, I mean, before you enable this, definitely make sure that everyone connecting in has a supported version of the client. Uh, also, watermarking is for remote desktops only. With remote apps, watermarking is not applied and the connection is allowed. Uh, if you connect to a session host directly, not through AVD, using the remote desktop connection app, mstsc.exe, uh, watermarking is not applied and the connection is allowed. And to enable the watermarking, uh, you can follow the steps that Microsoft provide in the administrative template for Azure Virtual Desktop. And once you verify that the AVD admin template is available, just open up the policy setting, enable watermarking and set it to enable, and then choose one of the available configuration options. So use group policy, uh, enforce it via group policy, and there's multiple different options uh, for the watermarking feature. Definitely a great feature to have. That's been something that's popped up a lot in like Citrix environments, for example, and it's something that's used quite heavily. Um, particularly now with 
such high resolution pictures possible on phones. You know, you might block printing of certain types of documents for people that are working remotely. Well, it's kind of irrelevant when they've got these high res monitors, big monitors and these uh, smartphones capable of taking crystal clear pictures. So they could just take a picture and simply print it off their phone. So with watermarking, you can at least have that session ID. So if that image gets out there, maybe you'll be able to just scan the QR code and see what session that leak came from essentially. Avanti have announced that due to their recent acquisitions, they have solutions that have overlapping capabilities. And this week announced that they will begin to transition some products to new quotes prohibited, meaning that they'll no longer be sold or actively sold for uh, new purchases. And these changes come into effect from May 1st of this year. And that includes Avanti Workspace Control, Avanti DSM, Avanti Identity Director, Avanti Endpoint Security, and Avanti Service Desk in that grouping. There's also the Avanti Legacy ITXM, which includes Avanti Discovery 9.x, Avanti ALM, and Avanti Goldmine. So as stated, these products will no longer be available to generate new opportunity quotes from May 1st. And these changes will not affect quotes for new opportunities that are already in flight. Uh, these changes will not impact the ability to quote volume or renewal opportunities. And for the affected products, except where an official end of life is announced, Avanti will continue to support the solutions affected. So certainly, I guess, not necessarily a hard stop date for these products they're not going to be actively sold. So presumably that means, you know, they're easing into uh, end of life. So unfortunately, uh, one of those products is what was formerly res software, um, which was awesome. So that would be sadly missed, unfortunately, but kind of makes sense because Avanti also acquired absence from what I recall. So there definitely has been overlapping capabilities. Uh, for quite some time and it seems like there's more now and that's brought on this change So several quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week first off Microsoft is working on a new split-screen feature that lets edge fans on macOS and Windows split an open window into two tabs for a side-by-side -side comparison of content according to a report from ZDNet the new feature is being tested now in the latest daily builds of Edge in the Canary channel. So if you're using the Canary channel, that feature should be coming to you. OpenAI have launched a tool that attempts to distinguish between human-written and AI-generated text, like the text produced by ChatGPT and GPT-3. The classifier isn't particularly accurate. Its success rate is only around 26%. But OpenAI argues that uh, when used in tandem with other methods, this could be useful in helping prevent AI text generators from being abused. And I covered on the podcast, I think two or three weeks ago, that there is an open source project for detecting AI generated content too. So maybe check out both of those together. An exploit is now available for the VMware vRealize logs insights vulnerability that I covered on last week's episode of the podcast. So if you haven't heard about that vulnerability, check out last week's episode of the podcast. But if you already did, well, unfortunately, there is now an exploit publicly available for that vulnerability. So patch, patch, patch. 
Microsoft have announced a new Stream Deck Teams plugin which enables you to program some keys for your Elgato Stream Deck device, including to toggle camera on and off, toggle mute on and off, toggle the record on and off, toggle background blur on and off, leave the meeting, display live reactions including applause, laugh, like, love, and wow, and also raise or lower your hand. So if you're not familiar with the Stream Deck, really really awesome little device uh, with some buttons on the front surface of it and you can program each button to do a different hotkey or action or run something for you on your windows device or your mac os device as well and i'm already using mine for zoom and teams and just executing some keyboard shortcuts to complete these types of actions but the good news is microsoft themselves have developed something for the stream deck for teams as well and to leverage this, you'll need to get the latest version of this plugin, and it'll only work with the latest version of Teams 2, I believe. So I might be wrong on that. I didn't do great research on this because I just found the story as I was recording. Uh, but regardless, there's a plugin, so check it out. Try it out for yourself. It's pretty cool. The New York Times reports that OpenAI plans to sell a $20 tier, which will provide around-the-clock access to the service, improve speed, and access, and provide access to new features. This is the latest report on pricing. There was a previous suggestion that it would cost about $42 a month, so this is quite different in terms of pricing. It'll be interesting to see uh, if this is final and where it will eventually land. Reuters reported that the U.S. and European Union last Friday announced an agreement to speed up and enhance the use of artificial intelligence to improve agriculture, healthcare, emergency response, climate forecasting, and the electric grid. The partnership is currently between just the White House and the European Commission, uh, the executive arm of the 27-member European Union. Uh, the senior administration officials said other countries will be invited to join in the coming months. So pretty interesting, particularly for the electric grid and uh, maybe uh, smartly positioning joint resources from these different countries uh, to solve problems and challenges like around, you know, the electrical grids and operating uh, a constant supply. Microsoft have released an out-of-band update for some .NET Framework and .NET versions to address XPS display issues triggered by December 2022 cumulative security updates. Uh, users could experience null reference exceptions and images or glyphs displaying incorrectly when viewing XPS documents rendered using affected Windows Presentation Foundation-based apps or WPF apps. This update addresses a known issue which might cause those XPS documents which utilize structural or semantic elements like table structure, storyboards, or hyperlinks to not display correctly in WPF-based readers. So if this has been affecting you, check out this out-of-band update. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. First up, Dave Brett had a new blog post on making your Citrix policy secure by default, which actually continues on from um, some content last year that I shared from Patrick Coble around uh, how secure some default settings are, and also a story I covered on the podcast a couple weeks ago about um, insecure defaults. 
So this is right in that wheelhouse and Citrix relevant. So check out that blog. I also saw a really interesting blog post uh, security related to on how to help your employees make strong passwords a habit. And it gives some pointers on um, different password formats that are maybe not so typical are rigid as some enterprises use today around like complex passwords, but how to allow them to use complex passwords, but in maybe a more memorable way for them. Finally, uh, I checked out the future of app management in Intune episode uh, of Steve Thomas's and Danny Gilroy Jr.'s podcast, well, video podcast. Uh, I thought it was really, really interesting. Uh, it covered mostly Windows Package Manager and the integration within Intune, um, but also just kind of Windows Package Manager in general. Uh, they cover the topic of will there be one package format to rule them all in Windows and um, maybe talked about things like, you know, will Windows Package Manager integration come to SCCM and so forth. So I thought it was a pretty interesting discussion and you might too. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. As always, Thank you so much for listening.